Chapter Five of Ancient and Modern Celebrated Freethinkers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ancient and Modern Celebrated Freethinkers by Charles Bradlaugh. Chapter Five. Anthony Collins. Free thought, as developed in the deistic straggles of the seventeenth century, had to battle for existence against a puritanic reaction which took its second rise from the worn-out licentious age of the last of the Stuarts, and that of the no less dangerous, though concealed, libertinism of the Dutch king. A religious rancor also arose, which, but for the influence of a new power, would have re-enacted the tragedy of religious persecution but this rancor became somewhat modified from the fact that the various parties were now unlike the old schismatics who were each balanced at the opposite ends of the same pole extreme papacy on the one hand and fifth monarchists on the other when each oscillation from the protestant centre deranged the balance of enthusiasm and drove it to the farthest verge of fanaticism until all religious parties were hurled into one chaos of disunion such were the frequent changes of the seventeenth century but at its close the power of deism had evolved a platform on which was to be fought the hostilities of creeds here then could not exist that commingling of sects which were deducible in all their varied extravagance from the bible theology had no longer to fight with itself but with philosophy metaphysics became the jehu of opinion and sought to drive its chariot through the fables of the saints the old doctrines had to be restated to meet new foes for the papists nonconformists and brownists were excluded to make way for the british illuminati who spread as much consternation through england as did the french encyclopedists across europe the new field of action was only planned for when catholicism first opposed protestantism its leaders little thought what a pandoric box it was opening nor did the divines of the latter sect ever doubt the finality of their own doctrines they wished to replace one infallibility by another and the same charge can be substantiated against deism when in this augustan age the free-thinking leaders fresh from the trammels of christism first took the name of moral philosophers they little knew they were paving the way for an atheism they so much dreaded a democracy more unbridled than their most constitutional wishes a political economy to be tried for half a century and then to be discarded a revolutionary fervor which should plough up europe and then give place to a communism which the first founders of this national agitation would have gazed upon with amazement and shrunk from with despair such is the progress of change the rise of the deistic movement may be defined in a sentence it was the old struggle of speculative opinion shifting its battleground from theology to philosophy prior to the one being discarded and the other developed into positive science among the most distinguished of these reformers stands the name of anthony collins who and what he was we have little opportunity of knowing save from the scattered notices of contemporaries but sufficient is left on record to prove him one of the best of men and the very coryphaeus of deism 
the twin questions of necessity and prophecy have been examined by him perhaps more ably than by any other liberal author there are slight discrepancies in relation to the great events of his life the abbe lodovicat says he was born june twenty first sixteen seventy six of a rich and noble family at heston in middlesex and was appointed treasurer of the county but another account says hounslow which we think was the more likely place he was educated at eton and cambridge he studied for the bar for some time but being wealthy ultimately renounced jurisprudence while his youthful studies admirably fitted him for his subsequent magisterial duties he was clever honest learned and esteemed by all who knew his character the elder disraeli says that he was a great lover of literature and a man of fine genius while his morals were immaculate and his personal character independent the friendship of locke alone is sufficient to stamp the character of collins with honor and he was one of the most valued friends of this great man in a volume published by de Maisieux, a writer we shall have occasion to notice in the year seventeen twenty containing a collection of the posthumous works of locke there are several letters addressed to collins which fully substantiate our opinion locke was then an old man residing in the country and collins was a young man in london who took a pleasure in executing the commissions of his illustrious friend in one of them dated october twenty ninth seventeen o three he says if i were now setting out in the world i should think it my greatest happiness to have such a companion as you who had a true relish of truth would in earnest seek it with me from whom i might receive it undisguised and to whom i might communicate what i thought true freely believe it my good friend to love truth for truth's sake is the principal part of human perfection in this world and the seed-plot of all other virtue and if i mistake not you have as much of it as ever i met within anybody what then is there wanting to make you equal to the best a friend for any one to be proud of during the following year the correspondence of locke appears in a most interesting light the affectionate inquiries the kind advice and the most grateful acknowledgments are made to collins on september eleventh locke writes he that has anything to do with you must own that friendship is the natural product of your constitution and your soul a noble soil is enriched with the two most valuable qualities of human nature truth and friendship what a treasure have i then in such a friend with whom i can converse and be enlightened about the highest speculations on the first of october he wrote collins on his rapid decay but this i believe he will assure you that my infirmities prevail so fast on me that unless you make haste hither i may lose the satisfaction of ever seeing again a man that i value in the first rank of those i leave behind me this was written twenty-seven days before his death four days before his decease he wrote a letter to be given to collins after his death this document is one of the most important in relation to the life of the great freethinker it irrefragably proves the falsity of everything that may be alleged against the character of collins oates august twenty third seventeen o four for anthony collins esq dear sir by my will you will see that i had some kindness for 
Mm. and i knew no better way to take care of him than to put him and what i designed for him into your hands and management the knowledgment i have of your virtues of all kinds secures the trust which by your permission i have placed in you and the peculiar esteem and love i have observed in the young man for you will dispose him to be ruled and influenced by you so of that i need say nothing may you live long and happy in the enjoyment of health freedom content and all those blessings which providence has bestowed on you and your virtues entitle you to i know you loved me living and will preserve my memory now i am dead i leave my best wishes with you john locke such is the honourable connection which existed between locke and collins collins first publication was a tract several of the london cases considered in the year seventeen hundred in seventeen o seven he published an essay concerning the use of reason on propositions the evidence whereof depends upon human testimony in which says dr leland there are some good observations mixed with others of a suspicious nature and tendency it principally turned on the trinitarian controversy then raging and is of little interest now in this year collins united with dodwell in the controversy carried on by dr samuel clark one of clark's biographers alluded to it thus dr clark's arguments in favor of the immateriality and consequent immortality of the soul called out however a far more formidable antagonist than dodwell in the person of anthony collins an english gentleman of singular intellectual acuteness but unhappily of infidel principles the controversy was continued through several short treatises on the whole though clark in some instances laid himself open to the keen and searching dialectics of his gifted antagonist the victory certainly remained with the divine of course it is only to be expected that such will be the opinion of an opponent but it is further proof of collins ability and character in seventeen o three appeared his celebrated discourses of freethinking which perhaps created the greatest sensation in the religious world with the exception of the age of reason of any book published against christianity this book is as able a defence of the freedom of the expression of thought without penalty as was ever published it is divided into four sections in the first freethinking is defined in five arguments in the second that it is our duty to think freely on those points of which men are denied the right to think freely such as of the nature and attributes of god the truth and authority of scriptures and of the meaning of scriptures in seven arguments and eleven instances the third section is the consideration of six objections to free thinking from the whole of which he concludes one that freethinkers must have more understanding and that they must necessarily be the most virtuous people two that they have in fact been the most understanding and virtuous people in all ages here follows the names of a great number of men whom collins classified as freethinkers and of whom we have no reason to be ashamed this book was answered by many divines but none of them emerged from the contest with such christian honors as the famous dr bentley considered england's greatest classical scholar in the same year the doctor published his reply under the signature of philelutheros lipsiensis 
the fame of bentley was considered equal to collins's and it has always been represented that this reply completely crushed the freethinker nothing could be farther from the truth bentley principally attacked the greek quotations and denounced collins for his ignorance in not putting his bentley's construction on every disputed word for this reply bentley received the thanks of the university of cambridge in condition with this work collins is also charged with wilful deception which has been reproduced in our own lives by divines who perhaps never read a line of collins a french edition of the discourse was translated under the personal inspection of collins and it is said that he altered the construction of several sentences to evade the charges brought against him by bentley dr leland is particularly eloquent upon this and the rev mr lorimer of glasgow triumphantly plagiarizes the complaint of the men whose defects he can only imitate there is another charge connected with bentley and his friends which it is desirous should be exposed the elder disraeli says anthony collins wrote several well-known works without prefixing his name but having pushed too far his curious and polemical points he incurred the odium of a freethinker a term which then began to be in vogue and which the french adopted by translating it in their way a strong thinker or esprit fort whatever tendency to liberalize the mind from the dogmas and creeds prevails in these works the talents and learning of collins were of the first class his morals were immaculate and his personal character independent but the odium theologicum of those days combined every means to stab in the dark till the taste became hereditary with some i may mention a fact of this cruel bigotry which occurred within my own observation on one of the most polished men of the age the late mr cumberland in the romance entitled his life gave this extraordinary fact he said that dr bentley who so ably replied to collins discourse when many years after he discovered him fallen into great distress conceiving that by having ruined collins character as a writer for ever he had been the occasion of his personal misery he liberally contributed to his maintenance in vain i mentioned to that elegant writer who was not curious about facts that this person could never have been anthony collins who had always a plentiful fortune and when it was suggested to him that this a collins as he printed it must have been arthur collins the historic compiler who was often in pecuniary difficulties still he persisted in sending the lie down to posterity without alteration in his second edition observing to a friend of mine that the story while it told well might serve as a striking instance of his great relative's generosity and that it should stand because it could do no harm to any but to anthony collins whom he considered as little short of an atheist such is a specimen of christian honor and justice in seventeen fifteen appeared his philosophical inquiry into human liberty dr clark was again his opponent the publication of this work marked an epoch in metaphysics dugald stuart in criticizing the discussion on moral liberty between clark and leibnitz says but soon after this controversy was brought to a conclusion by the death of his antagonist he clark had to renew the same argument in reply to his countryman anthony collins who following the footsteps of hobbes with logical talents not inferior to his master 
and with a weight of personal character in his favor to which his master had no pretensions gave to the cause which he so warmly espoused a degree of credit amongst sober and inquiring politicians which it had never before possessed in england the following are the principal arguments of collins in reference to liberty and necessity first though i deny liberty in a certain meaning of that word yet i contend for liberty as it signifies a power in man to do as he wills or pleases secondly when i affirm necessity i contend only for moral necessity meaning thereby that man who is an intelligent and sensible being is determined by his reason and senses and i deny any man to be subject to such necessity as is in clocks watches and such other beings which for want of intelligence and sensation are subject to an absolute physical or mechanical necessity thirdly i have undertaken to show that the notions i advance are so far from being inconsistent with that they are the sole foundation of morality and laws and of rewards and punishments in society and that the notions i explode are subversive of them from the above premises collins sought to show that man is a necessary agent one from our experience through consciousness two from the impossibility of liberty three from the consideration of the divine prescience four from the nature and use of rewards and punishments five from the nature of morality such were the principles on which the great question of necessity has ever been advocated from hobbes to collins jonathan edwards to mackintosh and spencer in the year 1704, Toland dedicated to him a new translation of Aesop's fables. There are many anecdotes respecting Collins inserted in religious magazines, most of which are false, and all without proof. One of them, related in a most circumstantial manner, appears to be the favorite. It depicts Collins walking out in the country on a Sunday morning, when he meets a countryman returning from church. Well, Hodge, says Collins, so you have been enjoying the fresh breezes of nature this fine morning. The clown replied that he had been worshipping nature's god, and proved it by repeating the substance of the Athanasian creed, upon which Collins questions him as to the residence of his god, and for a reply is told that his god is so large that he fills the universe, and so small that he dwells in his breast this sublime fact we are told had more effect upon collins's mind than all the books written against him by the clergy when will sensible men reject such charlatanism the next great work of collins was his discourse on the grounds and reasons of the christian religion in two parts the first containing some considerations on the quotations made from the old in the new testament and particularly on the prophecies cited from the former and said to be fulfilled in the latter the second containing an examination of the scheme advanced by mr whiston in his essay towards restoring the true text of the old testament and for vindicating the citations thence made in the new testament to which is prefixed an apology for free debate and liberty of writing this book took the religious world by storm. It is even thought it struck more dismay amongst divines than his former essay on free-thinking. 
the book proceeds to show that christianity is not proved by prophecy that the apostles relied on the predictions in the old testament and their fulfillment in jesus as the only sure proof of the truth of their religion if therefore the prophecies are not thoroughly literal and fulfilled distinctly there can be no proof in christianity he then examines the principal prophecies and dismisses them as allegorical fables too vague to be of any credit in less than two years no less than thirty-five books were published in reply to this work written by the ablest and most influential theologians in england in seventeen twenty seven collins published another large work the scheme of literal prophecy considered in which he still further defends his view principally against the sophistical reasoning of whiston and finally vanquished the whole of his opponents perhaps no freethinker with the single exception of hobbes was so attacked during his life as collins toland and woolston were persecuted and driven into prison and poverty but collins with his profusion of wealth could oppose christianity with applause mingle in the gaiety of the court occupy a seat on the magisterial bench be the welcome guest of the most liberal of the aristocracy contemporary with others who even languished in prison for the propagation of similar sentiments since his day the clergy have grown wiser then the most trivial pamphlet on the deistic side created a consternation amongst the saints and they strove who should be the first to answer it indeed it was considered a test of honor amongst the clergy to be eager in the exposure of deism but this style of warfare was discontinued after the lapse of a few years the most discerning observers discovered that in proportion to the answers published against liberal works the influence of the most powerful side decreased force then gradually interfered and acts of parliament were considered the only logical refutation of a philosophical heresy the anomaly of our laws interfered again collins was rich and so must escape the fangs of the law thomas woolston was poor so his vitals were pierced by laws which collins escaped yet both committed the same offence in later times gibbon traced the rise of christianity and about the same time paine accomplished another portion of the same risk and the government which prosecuted the plebeian flattered the patrician but collins's time was rapidly drawing nigh on the thirteenth of december seventeen twenty nine he expired aged fifty-three years and to show the esteem in which his character was held the following notice was inserted in the newspapers of the day all hostile to his views yet striving to make it appear that he was after all not so great an infidel as his reputation honored him with on saturday last died at his house in harley square anthony collins esq he was a remarkably active upright and impartial magistrate the tender husband the kind parent the good master and the true friend he was a great promoter of literature in all its branches and an immovable asserter of universal liberty in all civil and religious matters whatever his sentiments were on certain points this is what he declared at the time of his death viz that he had always endeavored to the best of his ability to serve god his king and his country so he was persuaded he was going to that place which god hath prepared for them that serve him and presently afterwards he said the catholic religion is to serve god and run he was an eminent example of temperance and sobriety and one that had the true art of living 
his worst enemies could never charge him with any vice or immorality with this character the freethinkers have no right to be dissatisfied the abbe lodibicat says his library was curious and valuable always open to the learned even to his opponents whom he furnished with pleasure both with books and arguments which were employed in confuting him mr disraeli says he has seen a catalogue of collins library elaborately drawn up in his own handwriting and it must have contained a splendid selection of books this is proved by the correspondence with Locke, and the extensive number of quotations spread throughout his published works. By the death of Collins, and the defalcation of one who abused the name of a deist, the cause of free thought was impeded at the time when it most needed assistance. Collins had written a great number of tracts and larger works, intending them to be published after his death one collection of eight octavo volumes of manuscript containing the attacks upon christianity by which he intended his name to be transmitted to posterity were all arranged ready for publication as his posthumous works to ensure their creditable appearance and to reward a man whom he had thought worthy of confidence and one who professed to be a disciple of collins he bequeathed them to de Mazur, then a popular author and editor he had edited the correspondence of locke and collins written the light of bale and subsequently edited toland the idea of collins was to give his work to des Maisieux for a recompense for the trouble of publishing them while he would derive the whole profits of their sale which no doubt would be very large it appears that the widow of Collins was much younger than himself, in league with the Church of England, and was in rather a suspicious friendship with more than one clerical antagonist of her late husband, Desmajeux being worked upon conjointly by Mrs. Collins and a person named Tomlinson, was induced to accept a present of fifty guineas, and relinquished the possession of the manuscripts. It was not long, however, before his conscience accused him of the great wrong done to the memory of his benefactor, and to the free-thinking cause. His regret was turned into the most profound compunction for his crime, and in this state of mind he wrote a long letter to one who had been a mutual friend to Collins and himself, acknowledging that he had done a most wicked thing, saying, i am convinced that i have acted contrary to the will and intention of my dear deceased friend showed a disregard to the particular mark of esteem he gave me on that occasion in short that i have forfeited what is dearer to me than my own life honour and reputation i send you the fifty guineas i received which i do now look upon as the wages of iniquity and i desire you to return them to mrs collins who as i hope it of her justice equity and regard to mr collins's intentions will be pleased to cancel my paper this appeal which proved that des Maisieux, if he was weak-minded was not absolutely dishonest had no effect on mrs collins the manuscripts were never returned what their contents were no one now can inform us we are justified, however, in supposing that as those eight volumes were the crowning efforts of a mind which in its youth was brilliant in no common degree, must have been even superior to those books which roused England from its dreamy lethargy and brought about a revolution in controversy. 
whether they touched upon miracles or the external evidences or the morals of christism is unknown the curtain was drawn over the scene of demolition seven years after this time the controversy was reopened by mrs collins in the year seventeen thirty seven on account of a report being current that mrs c had permitted transcripts of those manuscripts to get abroad the widow wrote some very sharp letters to des Maisieux, and he replied in a tone which speaks faithfully of the affection he still bore to collins memory he concludes thus mr collins loved me and esteemed me for my integrity and sincerity of which he had several proofs how i have been drawn in to injure him to forfeit the good opinion he had of me and which were he now alive would deservedly expose me to his utmost contempt is a grief which i shall carry to the grave it would be a sort of comfort to me if those who have consented i should be drawn in were in some measure sensible of the guilt towards so good kind and generous a man such is an epitome of the secret history of the manuscripts of anthony collins if we look at the fate of the manuscripts of other deists we shall have good reasons for believing that some of the ablest writings meant to give a posthumous reputation to their authors have disappeared into the hands of either ignorant or designing persons five volumes at least of toland's works meant for publication were by his death irretrievably lost blunt's manuscripts never appeared two volumes of tyndall's were seized by the bishop of london and destroyed woolston's manuscripts met with no better fate chubb carefully prepared his works and published them in his lifetime bolingbroke made mallette his confidant as collins did by des Maisieux. the name of st john produced ten thousand pounds to mallette but those works were left with the tacit acknowledgment that the scotch poet should write a suitable life of the peer the letter of mallette to lord cornbury can only be compared to an invitation for a bid for the suppression of the philosophical works of st john and if this was not sufficient we need only instance the apparent solicitation with which he stopped a well-known influential dignitary of the church on the day when the works were to appear by pulling out his watch and saying my lord christianity will tremble at a quarter to twelve we may be thankful to the pecuniary poverty of our opponents even for the possession of the first philosophy some of hume's and gibbon's works have not yet appeared the manuscripts of most of the minor freethinkers disappeared with their authors there is no doubt but what robert taylor left some valuable writings which cannot be recovered such is the feeble chance of great men's writings being published when they are no longer alive with regard to the literary claims of collins his works are logically composed and explicitly worded he invariably commences by stating the groundwork of his opponent's theories and from them deduces a great number of facts and axioms of a contrary character and upon those builds his whole chain of argument he is seldom witty never uses the flowers of rhetoric combining a most rigid analysis with a synthetic scheme admitting but of one unswerving end 
he was characteristically great in purpose he avoided carrying forward his arguments beyond the basis of his facts whether in treating the tangled intricacies of necessity or the theological quagmires of prophecy he invariably explained without confusing and refuted without involving other subjects than those legitimately belonging to the controversy his style of writing was serious plain and without an undue levity yet withal perfectly readable men studied collins who shrunk from contact with the lion-hearted woolston whose brusque pen too often shocked those it failed to convince there was a timidity in many of the letters of blunt and a craving wish to rely more on the witticisms of brown than was to be found in the free and manly spirit of our hero to the general public the abstruse speculations of the persecuted toland were a barrier which his many classical allusions only heightened and the musical syllables of shaftesbury with his style at once so elevated so pompous and so quaint or the political economic doctrines of mandeville all tended to exalt the name of collins above those of his contemporaries and immediate successors and posterity cannot fail to place his bust in that historic niche between hobbes his master on one hand and bolingbroke his successor on the other from the great st john has descended in the true apostolical descent the mantle of free thought upon hume gibbon Paine, godwin carlyle taylor and owen and amongst this brilliant galaxy of genius no name is more deserving of respect than that of anthony collins end of chapter five ancient and modern celebrated freethinkers by charles bradlaugh read for you by ted delorme